Welcome to this special edition of Telling Lives. I'm Brian Manuel, producer of the podcast, and today I'm joined by writer and host of the program, Elizabeth Christian. Hello. Also joining us today is Alina Noakes. She's a reporter and a researcher on the project. Hey, guys. And finally, we have with us today Jerry Clark, our associate producer. Hello, everyone. Hey, first of all, I want to say thank you to all of the thousands of listeners out there who have stayed the course with us through this season. We have totally enjoyed this project, and we appreciate the massive amount of support that we have seen over the past few months of this project. And we wanted to take just a a bonus episode kind of situation here for you. Uh, We have a lot of questions that have been coming in on this project that this team has been putting together. And so we really, we just want to address some of those things today to answer as much uh, of these questions as we can for you. As we have been going through this, we have had uh, a lot of questions ourselves, right? Right. And if this sparks in you a question, feel free to drop us a line at our email address. Absolutely. It's tellinglivespod at gmail.com. Tellinglivespod at gmail.com. So let's just kind of jump into it. We're going to tag this as a team and uh, just go right into it. One of the things that has been brought to our attention, and this was really interesting at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about uh, when Angela's car was found at the Moned Bridge. One of the things that really kind of stuck out to some of our listeners was this, is that the family, when they found, when they were told that the car was found, they did not immediately go to where the car was. Instead, what they did was call the police and uh, waited for them instead of just going and checking it out on their own. And a lot of our listeners find that interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about that? I did go back and ask Deborah Freeman about that. And, you know, it's something that I hadn't thought of. And she said that is true, that they didn't. um, Back in 93, you know, we didn't have cell phones and stuff. So many people would think you'd go out there before you would call the police. But she said that isn't what they did. And she didn't really have a reason for that. I, you know, putting 25 years later, of course, my thought process is because her brother randy had found the car early that morning and then hadn't done anything but then when he left and went back across the bridge and there was a game warden there at that time the car had been sitting there for hours and my thought is randy shared that with her of course hey i saw it this morning it was still there when i came back by and so that's when they called Also, if you remember, Angela had told her mother the last time she saw her that she would be back on Friday because she had to go to work the next morning and she had never made contact since. Yeah. Alina, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think because it was an abandoned bridge, it didn't really seem odd for them to call the cops when they got there instead of searching the vehicle. And um, after doing a bunch of research and finding the newspaper articles and lining up the time that way, um, it really wouldn't have seemed suspicious at all to call the cops in in that way. Yeah. Uh, Jerry? Yeah, I I think that uh, back then, since people didn't have cell phones at that point, um, it definitely makes sense to call the cops first because... When I thought about it, I, at first I I thought it was strange that they called the cops first because, in in my head, I, I would have called Angela and tried to or her friends and tried <laughs> to see where they are, but you can't do that. Yeah. So I guess in in those times it is extremely odd to. And now y'all have we've all been out there. Right, right. It's it's a spooky place and it was uh, closed down from what I understand. So 
Definitely, it is suspicious. I, I would have called the cops back then. It's really interesting. In this situation, we kind of project today's technology and thoughts right. on a 25-year-old case. And so what may make sense today it didn't make sense back then, but it does make sense. Right, because you right. would be in constant contact Absolutely. at that point. It wouldn't even take that long before you're, okay, where is she? Where is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it looks like the car was quite a hot topic here on the podcast, especially with our listeners. One listener had a question about, and they remembered that during the podcast, we mentioned that Angela's door was opened when they found it. Uh, Any thoughts on that? Both, yes. The driver and passenger side door, the passenger wasn't wide open, but grass was in the door. So like if the door hadn't been closed all the way and you're in a, a place that the grass hadn't been cut in a long time, um, honestly, there were two people. There was somebody in the driver's side and somebody in the passenger side. Hmm. And Angela maybe have been the passenger. Oh, wow. And we we don't know that. But no, we don't know that. This is, you know, just one of those things. Why were the doors open? It's right. possible. There's that no other reason in my that I can see from all the research that has been done. There were two people in that car. Yeah. So another listener asked this, was there ever a map that was released to the public after they found her car? Uh, I believe in a previous case or a, a case afterwards, uh, a map was released of the area after uh, a crime had occurred there. Was there ever a map in Angela's case? Right. I don't remember one, and I have looked through all of the newspaper articles from that time period in several different newspapers. I never saw one, and part of that's probably because, again, this is 93, not 95 after the double murder that happened out there. And she wasn't found. And very little evidence was found. They only found her shoes. Now, a picture of that was put out there. And a picture of the car and the bridge were put out there. But as far as I remember, I do not remember a map. So no map that we can that we know no. of. No. A map of the area, again, was out in 95 after the double homicide that happened out in that area but I, I just don't remember one all right so let's switch gears here we're still staying with a car but a bullet was found yes. and we we heard in one of the episodes that through your research uh i'm not sure who told you was it was it angela's mother yeah and other people and other people mm-hmm. that a bullet an unspent bullet was found in her car right we've done a little research on that and and what did we find i've been racking my brain trying to figure out that piece and you know obviously it's an unspent bullet and no body's been found and no gun has been found and you know there's no trace marks on an unspent bullet but it finally occurred to me to do research related to some of the comments people have given me about gang activity that some of the people around Angela may have been involved in gang activity. And one of the things that I found in a couple of different um, scholarly articles and one put out by, I think, a Texas uh, group that studies gang activity is that gangs will sometimes leave an unspent bullet at a location to tell people we can come after you too. Mm. Now, I have nothing to back that up other than my own research that anybody can do. And we're not saying specifically, hey, this was gang-related. But it's very interesting theory, and it was reputable sources say that this is something known in the gang world. It it could be that, or it very well just as equally could not be that. We don't know, but that is 
Very it's interesting. definitely an interesting theory. Very an interesting theory, and probably need to do a little more research mm-hmm. on that and see, and and who knows. One other thing that was brought to our attention was that recently in the news, some reports were were given about a, a former sheriff's deputy uh, named William Harold Brown Jr. And uh, some really interesting information that could or could not be linked to this case. And uh, why don't we just kind of go over that just a little bit. He was arrested for computer luring. Tell us about this. That was uh, recently. That was a year and a half, two years ago now. Um, What's most interesting isn't that that happened, but that it wasn't the first time that he had gotten in trouble. He'd actually gotten in trouble in 2006 for... In 2006, he got in trouble for... It was luring charges then as well. Okay, very similar. Um, So, and he was employed by two different law enforcement agencies. Uh, He has since been let go, obviously. Mm -hmm. He um, is related to one of the former pedo police chiefs, which is why I think the person emailed and said, Hey, have y'all looked at this guy? Mm -hmm. Because there's a post and... Uh, she sent it to me. I had seen it before, but didn't put two and two together with who Bill Brown was. There's a post that someone alleges that this man was a young deputy sheriff in Perry County in 1993 and was actually the first person on the scene of Angela's car. Well, that blew me away. Um, I still don't know if there's anything to it. I have not at, at this point been able to check 1993 records for Perry County, but I have looked more into uh, Bill Brown's background, and he has worked for other agencies for very short periods of time, too. Now, whether or not that means he was let go because of inappropriate activity that was just never reported, I don't know the answer to that question. But having been involved in two different sexual-type offenses in 2006 and then again in 2017 and being related to other people in law enforcement, it does make you wonder— What's interesting is that in 2013, before, years before the 2017 um, instance, 2013 is when the person posted on the Angela Freeman site. Now, the source that posted it is absolutely not a reputable source. I'm not going to put any credence in what he says. Right. Uh, I have checked out the person who posted it, and I'm not going to discuss that here, but it's not a reliable source. Right. But... That doesn't mean it's true or not true. We should be able to find records of whether or not he was a young deputy sheriff and was the one that happened up on the car. Um, This person just said, I'd heard it. Yeah. And then it was covered up really quickly. I have not seen that in any reports. I have seen that a game warden uh, was on location at the time that Randy Freeman, her uncle, came back to see the car and he says that too right that uh, he believes it was a game warden right um so we're kind of clarifying here this was just brought to our attention yes we've looked into it and and even though these charges are out there it's all public record yes we're not saying he really this had any connection at all but if he were a deputy sheriff of perry Perry, excuse me perry county in 93 it would be definitely something worth looking into in my opinion right but again i don't know Absolutely. All right, now we're going to move into some points of clarity. We've made a lot of of points through this whole podcast through this season. And by the way, we're not done. We've got a couple, three more episodes coming your way. So hang hang on for those. 
But we had some some listeners uh, contact us just to clarify some things that they found interesting as we were reporting the podcast. The first one was this. In an earlier episode, it was reported to us by Angela's aunt, uh, who was working at Crossroads Grocery, that Stephen... Lindsay had stopped by during the early morning breakfast hours, basically the morning after Angela had disappeared. Is that correct? Yes. Before anybody would have known that she was missing. That she was missing. And there was just something they wanted to clarify about that. This listener wanted to clarify. What was it? Right. You know, so some of you listening are locals to the area of Petal and some are not. None of us are local to that area I did live in the area for quite a few years, but there are many areas that I'm not familiar with. Crossroads Grocery is a place that I've never been. And so I was not familiar with the setup. So I didn't, you know, probably do an adequate job of explaining um, the interaction that Stephen and Vicki had that morning. The person who contacted us is a local who just wanted to make sure not to interject whether or not Stephen had anything to do with it, but to make sure that everyone listening had a better feel for the setup of Crossroads Grocery. Uh, I will admit as a person listening that I envisioned a counter that people came up to and ordered their breakfast and, you know, paid sort of like, you know, at a Waffle House or something and then left. And uh, the listener said, actually, Crossroads Grocery is a gas station or a convenience store that also has, you know, quick foods, biscuits that you can order and pay for at the cash register. We call those hot boxes over there. Right. We're all familiar with those, but because the name of the place is Crossroads Grocery, I think um, I didn't explain that well enough. And so I really appreciate the listener who reached out to make sure that... Uh, we weren't trying to say he came up, sat down in a counter, ordered water, uh, but that, you know, it's more like you're going up to a, a cash register that also has right. food. The second point of clarity that was given to us was uh, surrounding the date that Angela and Stephen supposedly were having, uh, and they had it set up. So we had statements from Kim Guy and her yes. ex-husband uh, that basically said that they had a double date planned with Stephen and Angela. Right. So Kim is a longtime friend of Angela's. They uh, were childhood friends, and then they got to know each other really well as teenagers because they worked together first at Burger King and then at Crystal. They were together. So Kim actually didn't remember this the first time that I talked to her. Her ex-husband reminded her after she talked about some of her memories that she had shared with me, he said, Kim, don't you remember we had a double date planned for the bowling alley that Friday night and they didn't show up. And so that jogged her memory. I called him. He um, said, yes, we had a double date planned, Angela and the guy at Pizza Hut. He didn't know Stephen. Um, so that was my understanding. Their memory is they had a double date planned. Well, um, Someone called and said, you know, that's their side of the story. I haven't talked to Stephen Lindsay. I have not talked to anyone in his family. So we've been piecing together the stuff we've gotten from the sources that we've had access to. And the person suggested, again, you have to remember, 1993. Right, 25 years ago. We don't have phones that we can, hey, Brian, 
you know, this, we actually had to wait Mm -hmm. to the end of a day when somebody came home or the next school day when we saw people. And they kind of said, well, you know what? It could have been more like this. Kim and Angela see each other all the time. They decide, hey, let's get together this weekend. Angela trying to get back with Stephen. And again, I'm using this as a supposed scenario. Right, so this is all... Angela trying to get back with Stephen. Kim knows this. Kim says, I'll talk to Lenny. Angela says, I'll drop by Pizza Hut and tell Stephen. And so Lenny, Kim's husband, only gets Kim's version of, we have a date planned Friday night with Angela and her new boyfriend. And Angela may not have even informed Stephen. It may have been why she was going to see him. Right. Or we don't even know that Stephen knew. Mm-hmm. I haven't I have not been able to verify that. Right. We don't even know. Uh, whether or not again, it could be very well true, mm-hmm. but there is another side to consider. Yeah, and that's what we appreciate about appreciate about listeners calling in. These are all little tidbits that are just they're they're small but they're really interesting right. to consider. Our last point of clarity comes in this form. We we have an article that was sent to us that we found and uh, started researching it just to see what it was all about. But a body was found in the DeSoto National Forest just about six weeks ago, not even six weeks ago. And we've had a lot of interest from listeners who were saying, could this be Angela? What do we know about this? Uh, it actually made national news. AP picked up the story of the remains found in Brooklyn, which is in Southern Forest County, Part of the National Forest is located there. It's a large, very wooded area. Camp Shelby sits on the edges. Uh, the likelihood that it's Angela's body is very slim. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it at this point, we don't even know if it was a man or a woman. Right. The remains uh, were sent to Harrison County, I believe. Yeah, Gulfport Coroner came and got them. There are... Two forensic labs in Mississippi. I believe Gulfport is who is doing it. I actually reached out to a couple of people in law enforcement who know much more about it than I do because I didn't know. I haven't, like the people who reached out to us, I haven't heard a word. So what um, I was told is it depends on how long the remains have been there, obviously how dehydrated they are and what they have to do to get DNA from them, that it could take, you know, just a few weeks to a few months to find out that information. Right. And so far, we, we, we don't really suspect this is this is Angela. We don't think that. Um, but one thing that really crosses my mind, and maybe you guys can add something into this, I can't imagine after 25 years what this family's going through, right? I mean, can you imagine everybody that's found the questions that come up, the hope that springs? What do you guys think? Um, well, it, it's just like how Angela's mom said it. I'm sure it's, it's an absolute roller coaster because one moment you could think that you're so close to finding out what happened and finding the truth. And then the next moment you're, you're lost in the middle of all of it again. And I know a lot of people have, have taken interest in it. And a lot of people have tried to do research and help and run programs on it. And it, it's all come up to nothing. Right. But yeah. my opinion on that is, is you can't stop the truth and it will it will show up. Yeah. And then you hear stories about Jamie Kloss. Right. What a miracle that three yeah. months after she's found and 
in relatively good condition from the reports that are coming out. But I have to tell you, I've been researching it since late May. And from the perspective of somebody who has followed the case since 1993 and having opinions to someone who is now intimately involved and has looked at every aspect so far that I can find and continues to look, I am so amazed at how much the public doesn't know and why we have formed the opinions that we have. I, it's really, it makes me wonder if every case is like this and if every news story is like this. It's, that's been the most surprising part to me. I have no doubt Angela's dead now. I hate saying that because I feel like Angela's part of me now. Um, I think somebody violently killed her that night. I'm not sure that it was at the bridge, but it's it's amazing how much we, you know, have not been told over the years about this case. Yeah, and and that was a listener's question to us was how long have we been researching right. and, and working on this? And you've been working on it for going on seven months mm-hmm. now. Uh, what's it like? investigating a case like this where you just come up with this inspiration and, and this idea, why did you even want to do this podcast? I've been familiar with this case since it happened in 93. I was 21. Um, so not very much older than Angela and it has always stuck with me. The stuff that happened in our country in 93, 94, and this case, I've really just stayed with Waco, Oklahoma City, you know, that, and, and I was coming of age, college student, have stayed with me. I have never forgotten. And I really just felt like because I'm interested in prison and crime and people's stories, knowing that there's more than just the headlines, and I wanted to, if I could, try my hand at it too. You were part of the inspiration because you had come in in spring and started talking about podcasts you'd been listening to. And I started listening to podcasts. And when I was listening to Up Advantaged, I was like, Angela, we have to tell Angela's story because of the way she was treated in the media. In my opinion, now that I have children her age, she deserved more Hmm. than being treated like she was just this dirt poor forgotten promiscuous teenager. She was so much more than that. And how many of us, you know, made terrible mistakes when we were kids, you know, her life just stopped and she deserves more than that. And I pray, I pray that we get answers. Even if, I hate to say this, even if there's never enough evidence to prove who did it, I pray that we find her or what's left of her because that family deserves at least that amount of peace. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of evidence that clearly points in one direction at this point. But after 25 years and the mistakes that were made early on, you know, and I'm not, you know, throwing stones at one person. Technology has changed a lot of the years too. Right. Police departments, whether it was in Mississippi or New York City, the way they train officers has changed so much. Right. That, you know, 
I pray that most of them were honest mistakes. I pray they were. So the mistakes that were made may keep there from ever being a slam dunk case short of someone, you know, finding Jesus and confessing. But I do believe it's possible to find her. Yeah. Which is going to be our last question for this episode as we kind of wind down here, this kind of roundtable talk. Do you guys think, do you guys think this case is going to be solved or can this case be solved? I I definitely think, like I said earlier, you, you can't stop the truth. Um, I like to believe and have faith that one way or another, this can be solved and hopefully will be solved. I, there's always the possibility um, crazier things have happened. And, and like Dr. Christian just said, it could come up to someone finding Jesus and confessing or maybe something else. But I definitely have faith and hope that this will be solved. Alina, what do you think? What do you think about this case? Are we going to find some closure on it one day? I think definitely. Um, I think of the Jacob Wetterling case where it was such a long time before they ever found the boy's body. And it was in the area, like right around the area where he had disappeared. I think things will come to light. And um, if we have faith in, in, you know, who that God is sovereign and that mm-hmm. um, he makes all things work together. Um, that he had a plan in all of this, then I think it'll come to light eventually. Yeah. For sure. And that was 27 years. 27 years. Right. Um, I do think that the lead detective in this case has too much on his plate. He is the assistant police chief of a very large state university. He is the only person who works in this area for the cold case unit. Um, That's, you know, it's understaffed, and that's probably not unique either. Right. But I do think that, um, I do think that more People need to be focused on the case, and I don't know that that's possible. Well, and you know, know, I think that's one of the hopes that we have as we've told Angela's life is that because the detective is working shorthanded, Mm -hmm. someone out there knows something. Mm -hmm. Someone out there has seen something that they've never said, and maybe they've been holding it back. Maybe they've been holding it in, and our hope is this. This family needs some closure, and we've set about telling Angela's life. Our goal was not to solve a case. Right. You know, it's not, but boy, somebody out there knows. Mm-hmm. And if you know, maybe now's the time. Maybe right. now's the time to get a hold of Rusty Keys. Give him a call. Let him know what you know if you have anything. And at the same time, if you have questions, if you have anything that you want uh, to add to this case, get a hold of us. Uh, tellinglivespod at gmail.com. We've got a website, tellinglives.blueberry.net. It's kind of weird the way blueberry spelled, but do a Google search. We're there. That's the home site for us. We would love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And if you're scared to reach out to police, I know some people, they're intimidated right. to reach out to law enforcement. When we get uh, leads, we we will turn them over. We have turned them over. Right, we have. We've, we've contacted the proper authorities on, on an occasion where we had some information, which you may hear a little bit of yes, in the next definitely. couple of episodes. And so hang in there with us. Uh, we just enjoyed this time. Thank you guys for sitting down with me today. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy putting it together. It's been a labor of love. We've loved telling Angela's story, and we're not done yet. Her story will continue for at least another couple episodes, maybe even three. We'll see. I think it's going to be three. Yeah, so hang in there with us, and uh, we will see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.